Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. We did a series last week on desire. And if you remember, if you were here, or if you watched it uh, throughout the week at some point online, on TV or something, what you remember is that desire is not, uh, does not have morality attached to it. Desire is, is amoral. It is either evil or good based on the heart behind the desire. And so the real question is, what is the motivation for the desire? Now, desire is necessary for life, though. We've got to have desire if we want to eat. We have to have desire if we want to accomplish something. Desire is what causes us to have motivation. So desire is not bad. Desire is not good. The heart of desire moves us forward in life to where we actually do something. So the question being, the question I asked you is this. I said, what do you desire? Or tell me what you want. What you really, really want, right? Tell me what you want. What, what is your desire? Well, I want to step back now and I want to say that, that since we looked at uh, Psalm 42 and said that, that our desire is to be for the Lord, I want to ask, what is God's desire? If we were to ask God, God, tell me what you want, what you really, really want, what would his answer be? Well, fortunately, God actually has given us the answer. And it's super clear and super, super simple. In Matthew chapter 9, we find the basis for God's own desire. So Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Break. So here's the story. Matthew was sitting at his tax collector booth, and Jesus was walking by, and he said to Matthew, follow me. And, they, and apparently where Jesus was going was to Matthew's house so they could have dinner, right? It's just invited himself to lunch is what he did. He said, follow me. And the Pharisees were watching this, and they were confused because they were wondering why such a, such a, 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 a notable teacher, such a spiritual leader, somebody who claimed to be teaching God's truth, would be eating with such seedy people. Now, you have to know this because the Pharisees looked at people who were not holy and who were not righteous as less than themselves. They looked at them, and they condemned them, and they, they had... Uh, a pejorative thoughts towards them. And so the, the Pharisees were all uppity in that way. They're like, why does your teacher, what kind of teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overheard what they were saying, and he responded to their question very, very simply by saying, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Verse 13. Go and learn what this means. That, that phrase, go and learn what this means, was a way of him saying, you don't understand God at all. You don't understand the heart of the Father. You don't know what the Father really, really wants. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Now, 
the fact is, all of us are sinners. All of them were sinners, both the tax collectors, the sinners, and the Pharisees. But the Pharisees didn't see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as righteous. Why? Because they did righteous or rather religious acts. So if you ask the question, what does God want? What he wants is very simple. He wants you. Of all that God wants, it can be completely said in that God wants you. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the most important person, not person, you are the most important thing in the world to him. Now, be careful because we're not making you and me the center of the universe. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is the center of the universe. His honor and his glory is most important. But what God desires most of all by showing his glory, by showing his honor, is that his created beings, his made beings, are in a right relationship with him. So that's what God wants. All throughout the scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you have this phrase. You have the phrase that in some way or form says, they will be my people, I will be their God. I will be their God, they will be my people. They will be my people, I will be their God. All the way to the end of Revelation, he says, and they have become my people, and I am their God. That is what God wants. God wants you. But let me show you a few other places where this is made clear. Turn, if you will, into John, the Gospel of John, just two books over to the right. John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. Oops, I'm in Luke. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And in verse 24, his prayer extends to all believers. He starts to pray for you and for me. He says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me. So he, is, he says, I want, I desire, I long for, I, I, uh, I, uh, uh, I don't want to say aspire to, but it, it's, the, it's the cry of his heart. I want those that you have given to, be with, uh, given to me to be with me where I am. Why? So that they can see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. So in other words, God wants his people, the people that he made, the people that he fashioned, the people that he formed, the people that he knows, to be in a relationship with himself. In 1 Timothy, we're going to see the same thing in just a few moments. But the bottom line is, you were made to know God. And what God wants more than anything else is for you to know him. What God wants more than for you to be here sitting in these seats, singing these songs, is for your heart to be connected with him. It is entirely possible for us to do religious things and not know God. Happens all the time. It's entirely possible for us to do spiritual things and be far, far away. To know God is to be connected with Him. To be connected with Him is to be back the way that He created us to be in the very beginning. So I learned something really cool this week. I was so excited when I heard it because I'd never seen it before. I was listening to uh, Dr. Robert Morris out of Texas. And, and he was speaking on God's desire for you and for me. And what he shared made perfect sense. So I'm going to share it with you. God desires us to be in relationship with him because he formed us. We came from him. 
In Genesis chapter 1, what you have is nothing, and then God creates something. So the first thing is creation, God creating something, and God making something are different. You and I have never created anything. We've only made things. To create something means there is nothing, and out of nothing comes something. That's to create. To make something is to take and, and create something out of something else. So I made something into something else. Does that make sense? Out of, um, out of a piece of paper, I made a letter. Out of a piece of paper, I made a paper airplane. So what was there was, was the foundation, and I just turned it into something else, right? This is important because God created some things, and he made other things. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And how did he create them? He spoke them into existence. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let there be, and there was. So some things he spoke into existence, he created them, and then some things he made out of something else. He said, let the earth bring forth fruit and trees and vegetables. Let the, out of the earth let, uh, come forth, uh, uh, he, he made animals out of the sea, let come forth fishes. And so when, when something is made from something else, when what was made is over, what happens? It go back, goes back to where it came from. My tomato plants in the backyard, shockingly, have been producing tomatoes for like two months. We've never in our lifetime been able to grow tomatoes, but I've figured out the problem all along. So I've always looked at these tomato plants every year before now as I've planted them, and when they die, I would pull them up. Apparently, the secret to good tomato plants is you let them die, and once they're dead, they grow tomatoes. Strangest thing I've ever seen. You're looking at me strange, but I'm telling you. We have dead tomato plants in the backyard. They're like, I mean, they're shriveled up. They're, they're ugly, and yet they are growing tomatoes like we're picking them every single day. And Shannon and I are looking at each other going, how is this possible? It's, it's, I don't know, but we just leave it alone and just keep picking, but it keeps growing stuff. But eventually... Those, do you, does that make sense to anybody? But I mean, it, it, does it make sense? Is there something I don't know? It is a miracle. The miracle of tomatoes in my backyard. Come and watch. So, <laughs> strange. So, here's the thing, though. Eventually, that plant is really going to be dead. It just looks dead now. Eventually, it's really going to be dead. Like, not just dead, but dead, dead, right? No more fruit. And when it does that, it's going to wither away back into the soil. And so happens with everything on this earth. It's alive. When it dies, it goes back to where it came from. Here's why this is important. So cool. At least I think it is. Where do we come from? In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God said, let us make man in our own image. Right? So who's he talking to? Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our own image. So they wanted uh, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made mankind to reflect who he is, right? So he didn't do this with anything else. He didn't say, let us make alligators in our own image. Let us make a hippopotamus in our own image. Let us make the birds or the the flowers. Let us make the sea and the, the sun. He didn't make any of those things in his image, Although those things are all good, there's only one thing that he made in his image, and that was mankind. When he said that, what he was saying was, let's make something that reflects 
the nature and the character of who we are. Now, how do you know the character and nature of God? Well, you know a tree by its fruit, right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things describe what God is like, who God is. And so when God made us, He made us in His own image, but in chapter 2 we find out how He made us. In chapter 2 of Genesis we find out that out of the dust of the ground He formed man, He formed Adam. Now, when He formed Adam, the Bible says that the body was lifeless and empty. So the human body was made from the dust of the earth. But the soul was made by God. The Bible says that he breathed life into him. The ruach, the breath of God. And when the breath of God entered into Adam, he, came, he became a, a, a living person. But there's, if you notice, the animals had breath, but there's no recollection that God breathed life into them. He just gave them life. But for us, he put himself inside of us. Why? Because we were made to reflect him in every possible way. Not that we are ever God. Don't make that mistake. We're not ever going to be God, but we are to be his, his reflection, of the reflection of all the goodness and the glory that he, that he is and that he has. So it makes sense then that if something is made from something else, there's a, there's, there's a need to be connected to what they were made from. Like a fish doesn't go out of water, right? A fish has to live in the water because that's where the fish gets oxygen. They have these things called gills and they breathe. And now, I don't know what he was doing with porpoises. That was a whole, that was like, a, I'm not sure if I want to give him legs or not. I'm just going to give him a tail and a fin and a big old blowhole and make him have to choose between breathing and swimming. I mean, that's, uh, that's just one of those cool things I think that God was just doing for maybe for our own enjoyment. I don't know. But fish breathe through the water. That's how they get their oxygen. You and I don't do that. Uh, a, gir a giraffe doesn't do that. They live on the earth. They eat the, from the earth. And so their sustenance, they're, they are sustained by where they came from. Here's why this is important. We came from God. We are sustained by and through God. The scripture actually tells us that. Um, gosh, I can't remember what it is now. Um, we are made by him and for him and through him. All things are held together. Maybe that's Philippians or Colossians, one of those. But it, it basically says that our entire existence is able to continue because we're being, being fed life through him. Does this make sense? So if we are made from God and if we exist through God and because of God, what's the, what's the goal after our body no longer exists? To be with God for all eternity. One day when our body dies, they're going to put us in a box, they're going to dig us a hole, and they're going to put us in the ground. But our soul doesn't go with the body. At that moment, our soul will be with Jesus for those who have been redeemed, for those whose life has truly been given by Jesus, the life um, that, that gives life. And so what we have here is an understanding that our purpose in life is to know the Father because God's greatest desire is for us to know Him. You ever had somebody say to you, if you have kids, you know what, He's just like you. My mother used to say that all the time about Sarah. She used to go, hee, 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 
one of those evil witch laughs, right? Not that I'd call my mom a witch, but in that moment, she should have wore a pointy, pointy black hat because she was like, hee, she's just like you. What does that mean? You know what that means. I mean, she basically, she was taking on some of those characteristics that, that uh, uh, were, were maybe not so marvelous at the time. And my mom was like, that's payback for all that I had to deal with with you, right? But when somebody says, he's just like you or she's just like the, you in one of those good qualities, do you not go, <sighs> does it not make you just proud? And Does it not make you just want to go, man, that's my girl. That's my boy. And what's really great is that a child should be a reflection of mom and dad. So when we look at our daughters and when we look at our son, they are, truly are a reflection of their mom and their dad. They get some of her characteristics. They get some of mine. Not just in how we look, but in how they act, how they love, and what they do. Yesterday, I was with um, Sarah uh, in, in Georgia. My mother-in-law had a birthday party last night, and so uh, I went for the day to, to, to be there for the birthday party. 80 years old, that's a, that's a big deal. And yesterday morning, um, I was with Sarah. I took her to breakfast, and we were eating at Chick-fil-A. Shocker, right? I know, shocker. Um, and, and as we were sitting there talking, sitting in line talking, she said, Dad, something really cool happened yesterday. I was driving by Chick-fil-A here, and I saw this woman on the corner, and the Holy Spirit just said to me, you need to pull around and go talk to her and tell, tell her that I love her. And I was like, all right, God, I'm going to do that. So she whipped into the, the parking lot, and then she walked over, and she just started to talk to this lady on the corner. She had a sign, something to the effect of help me. And she said, ma'am, I, I don't have any money. I, I, just, I, I just don't have anything, but I, but I can pray for you, and I can encourage you, and I can hear your story. And the woman said, you know what? You've given me more than money could possibly buy. You've cared and you've encouraged me. Thank you. And so as I was listening to Sarah tell me the story, man, I was like beaming with pride. You know, I was going, yes, yes, that's the point. That's what we want. When, when your child does something that's important to you, it makes you proud, right? It makes you feel like, uh, uh, yes, they, they get it. Imagine how God feels when you treat others like he treats them. Now, God doesn't have a chest, right? I mean, we, we, God is not a human. He's not a figure. But imagine if he did, that God would sit up in his chair a little bit. Hey, 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 Michael, Michael, Archangel. Hey, Gabriel. See that? She's getting it right. You see him? That's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, I don't know how that would go down, but I do know that as a human father, when my child acts in a way that is honoring and loving and it values something that I value, I can only imagine that when God the Father sees it in his children, he feels the same way. The truth is, the way you and I treat other people does matter. Because the way we love God, the way we know God, the way we are being with him where he is as Jesus prayed... That is most reflected or most evident by, the, by what we do with people that we meet on a daily basis. Turn your Bibles, if you will, once again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives us the, the scope of who God loves and who God cares about and who God desires to know Him. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 says this, I'm going to slow down a little bit because I'm 
told that I go too fast after giving the reference. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we need to, well, let's work on trying to get those references up here. We'll, we'll have to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says this. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior, who, here's the word again, wants, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God says, what I want, what I desire, is for everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, Jesus said it this way, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What's the truth? Well, it's more of a who is the truth. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when you go through Scripture, it's like you have all of these different streams and they all wind up at the same place. That we, God's creation, would know God and that is His greatest desire in all of the universe. But here's something, but wait, there's more. Here's something really cool. When we want Him, when we have a desire for Him, We reach out to him. And here's what the Bible teaches us. Every time you reach out to God, God reciprocates back to you. You can take that one to the bank, guys. Every time you reach out to God, God reaches out to you. It is instinctual. It is who he is. Never does he not reach back to you. When you touch God... God touches you, but notice you're reaching out to God. That is reciprocated. So when you come to church to worship and you leave and you go, man, I didn't get nothing out of that. Chances are really good that you didn't reach out to God. Because I know I can listen to some horrible preachers, and if he's preaching the truth of God's word, he doesn't have to be good in order for me to get something. That's my own heart issue, right? If you did or did not worship, it's not because God wasn't present. It's not because the music wasn't good. It's because you didn't reach out to God. Because every time you reach out to God, God reaches back. The scripture says it this way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The scripture says those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will also. That's the heart reaching out to God, thinking the kingdom-minded, doing God's, uh, 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 God-centered things. And every time we do, that's reciprocated back. When you call out to God, He will answer us and show us great and mighty things we do not know. It's all throughout Scripture. You reach out to Him, He reaches out to you. Why? Because He desires to be in relationship with His people. So everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be, what? Saved. Reach out to God. God reaches back to you. So, when we look at this this whole theme of the desire of God, we can know that God's desire for us should be reciprocated back to Him And then when it's reciprocated back to him, when we desire him, it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Turn, if you will, back to Matthew chapter 9. 
When Jesus said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, he was speaking of how the disciples, excuse me, how the Pharisees loved God, but also how the Pharisees loved others. Because the context was, these are tax collectors and sinners, they're less than us. So what God was trying to teach them was twofold. Number one, we are to love God the way he loves us. And number two, we are to love others the way God loves others. Without reservation, without qualification, we should never have to question, should I love that person or not? There's, there's never any, any qualifying um, questions that we have to ask. Does God want me to love that person or not? The answer is always, every time, 100%, yes. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to question how we help them because love helps but, but helping doesn't always look the same for everybody. But the love is always there 100% of the time, automatic, guaranteed. This, Jesus, uh, these words that Jesus was speaking, though, came from a biblical example of a steady, steadfast, compassionate love. In Hosea 6.6, the Bible tells us that God said, I desire loyalty not sacrifice. He was saying this in relation to the prophet Hosea who was commanded by God to marry this girl named Gomer. Gomer was a harlot. She sold herself. She was unfaithful to him. Day after day, she would go out and be unfaithful, and night, day, night after night, God would say to Hosea, don't push her away, let her come back. Why? Because Hosea's relationship with her was a picture of God's relationship with us. Now, the word that is used in Hosea chapter 6 and all throughout the book is a word that in the Hebrew, it's H-E-S-E-D, hesed, love. It's a word that means a steadfast love. It is a deeply rooted, unchanging immovable kind of love. And so we have in that picture of Hosea a picture of God's love for us and a picture of the kind of love we're to have both for God and for others. Does that make sense? So yesterday I left uh, Georgia late at night. It was like 8.30, 8.45, about five-hour drive. And so I wanted to get home Got to the edge of town, and uh, before I got on the main road, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop and get a cup of coffee. So I pulled into a Circle K, and I went inside, and when I first pulled up, I noticed there was a guy kind of standing in the window looking at the snack display. And as he was looking at that, I thought, man, that's a little strange. He, 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 just kinda, he was just kind of standing there with a handful of snacks and just, just kind of just looking. And it just kind of put me on guard a little bit. What, what, what's going on here? So I went inside, and I got some coffee. Of course, I'm looking over my shoulder, you know, wondering, is this guy thinking about robbing the place? Is he, is he just, just resting or whatever? And as I started looking at the different features, what I noticed is that he had a blanket around his neck, had a pair of sweatpants, and he had flip-flops with one sock on the left foot and no sock on the right. I noticed that he had a pretty scraggly beard, and he had a a cap on, not a ball cap, but one of more of those uh, knitted, crocheted things. And he was wearing 
uh, he had some chips and some cookies and a couple sandwiches. And as I was getting my coffee and as I was looking, the Lord said, I want you to feed him. He's hungry. And I was like, um, yeah, but... I mean, just, just for, just, don't, don't hate me, but just briefly, and let me tell you why. See, I had just come from a shrimp boil, and I was sent home with a, a, a plate full of boiled shrimp and sausages and potatoes and corn on the cob from the shrimp boil. That was my lunch today. And so it was sitting in the car next to me, and, um, and I'm thinking, Lord, can you speak clearly? Lord, give me a sign. Show me what you want. But it only lasted for a moment because God said, He's hungry. Feed him. And so I kind of, you know, you know how you circle around, you're still testing, you're not sure how the approach is going to be. You know what it's like, right? When you know you need to do something, you know. And so I finally went up to him and I said, hey man, are, are you okay? Are you hungry? He didn't speak. He just kind of, just kind of, just kind of grunted a little bit and w- w- it was really odd. And I said, so... I've got some food. I'd be glad to give it to you. And I went out and I got my food and I gave it to him. And it was really neat because somebody else came in and said to me, I've been watching him for 30 minutes. And he's just been standing there for 30 minutes looking, staring out the window, staring at these snacks. And so he and I spent probably probably about another 30 minutes trying to talk to him, trying to figure out what to do. And what do you do? I mean, I wanted to call the paramedics to have him checked out, but I also knew that if I did that, the police would come. And if the police came, it might be contentious. I just didn't know what to do. And so I, I finally go, Lord, Lord, I just, this is, I give him what I have. That's all I got. And, after, and, and so I was watching the clock too, right? Because I got a five-hour drive and I, I kept going, okay, um, I wish we could do something soon. Because it's, it's getting late. Finally, the guy and I decided, well, we've done all we can do. We'll just let, we'll just have to leave it at that. So I got in my car and I started driving away. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Jeff, that's really what I want you to do. I want you just to notice people. And I want you to love people. And I want you to meet their needs as best as you can. And I want you to know that it's sometimes inconvenience and it's sometimes going to cost you your plan. And it's sometimes going to be something that's not comfortable. And, and, and it's just going to be putting you all out of whack, but you know what? That feeling you feel right now, the feeling of obedience, the feeling of joy because at least you tried to do something, that's what it's all about. It's about just doing what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. And you know, that's really what God wants from you. He wants you to desire Him the way He desires you. He wants you to love Him the way that He loves you. He wants you to be willing to notice people and love people because he loves people. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to wear a cape and, 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 and underoos underneath your regular clothes. You, all, all you have to do is just live your life with your eyes open. Care about people, love people, and do good for them. Psalm 37 gives us a very clear picture of this. Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4 says this, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. And then he says, dwell in the land and live securely. 
So we live in a crazy, chaotic world. We live in a place where there's all kinds of things that are broken and all kinds of things that are scary and all kinds of things that are uncertain. And yet God says, put your eyes and focus on Him. Colossians tells it to us this way. Set our hearts and our minds on Christ Jesus, on things above, not on earthly things. So we trust in the Lord, and as we trust in the Lord, we simply do good. And as we do those things, we dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture or enjoy the security that God gives. Notice it doesn't mean that there will never be hardships or trials or temptations or struggles. The security is not your safety. It's the security of knowing that God has you in the palm of his hand. Those aren't necessarily the same thing. Then the next verse says this, take delight in the Lord. What does it mean to take delight in the Lord? It means to enjoy God. It means to enjoy God not just an hour a week, not just uh, when you're listening to a sermon in your car. It means to enjoy God and that God is the chief nature of your own enjoyment. That you take pleasure in being with Him and Him being with you. Trust in the Lord, take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. So this is going to segue for us into next week. What we want to do is we want our own desires to be God's desires. We want God to change what we want to where we want what He wants. That way when somebody says, tell me what you want, what you really, really want, your answer can be, I want what God wants. Because what God wants is what's important. That's the answer. I want what God wants. God wants. So how do we do that? Here's something cool. Trust in, or delight yourself in the Lord. God, I am enjoying your presence. I am delighting myself in you. I am, I, am, I am loving you with everything that I can do to love you. And because you've aligned yourself with God the Father, He is placing inside of you His desires. So He will give you the desires. He will put into you His desires. He will place in you the desires of his heart, which will be the desires of your heart. And when you're doing what the Father does, you are fulfilling the prayer of Jesus that you and Jesus would be one. That is a life worth living. That is a life that is not wasted. That is a life that impacts with ripples that you may never see the fulfillment of, but for generation to generation to generation. Now, getting from here to there is another story. It's hard because we got to fight the desires of the flesh. Get into that another time. But for today, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to expose your own desires, or better than that, ask God to expose your own desires. God, what is it that I really want? What do I love? Lay them out before the Father and say, God, if what I love is not your desires for me, you can have them. I'm holding them with open hands. If you don't want them, I don't want them. Because I want to love what you love and I want to hate what you hate. Here's what you might find. You might find that you are loving something. You are desiring something that your heart behind that desire is not holy. 
You might desire, you might find out that it's ego or pride or selfishness or security or whatever, and it's really idolatry. And because you've said, God, test me, and God does what he says, he's going to take and shake that up and remove it, and you're going to feel pain from it. You don't ever lose anything without feeling a, 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 a bit of pain from it. Even if what you're losing is bad, there's still pain and there's still mourning. But what you have to know is every time God removes something, even in the pain, he replaces it with something that is holy and good and right. But because your heart is right with him, you've given him permission, permission, right? Like we need to give God permission, but we, we've asked God, take it away. He replaces it with something holy, and when he does that, we truly understand what it means to delight ourselves in the Lord. And it's just this nonstop cycle of God giving us the desires of our heart because they're the desires of his heart. That's why you can look at a person who's followed Jesus for a bunch of years. And the older they get, the wiser they get, the more mature they get, the calmer they get, the more steady they get, the more courageous they get, and the more, they, more you realize, wow, that's the kind of faith I want. Well, it was because they went through the process of Delighting themselves in the Lord and allowing God to put the, His desires inside of them. You're not going to get there without a lot of work. Don't, you don't expect you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be good. It's not going to happen. The Bible tells us we've got to crucify the flesh and then we've got to live by the Spirit. That's hard. That's another day. This morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. This morning, if you're watching by way of Facebook or by way of TV, I want to invite you to trust Jesus. Why? Because <coughs> he's the only way to the Father. The very next uh, verse in 1 Timothy in chapter 2 tells us that he was ransomed. In other words, he gave his life so that we could be made right with God. But we're not automatically right with God there's a step of faith. There's a repentance that's involved in that. That's your part. Reaching out to God, God will reach back to you. Put it this way. God will always reach farther, by the way. Sometimes all we got is this. God will always reach farther. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? If you're here today and you know that God is speaking to you, I want to invite you to simply respond by obedience. Either give your heart to Him. Or ask God to forgive you of some things in your life that aren't what he has for you. Maybe today you just feel dead inside. and The only thing you can pray is, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Start there. If everything is right in your life, pray for the person on your left. Pray for the person on your right. Ask God to touch them. Father in heaven, we, we come to you now, and this is your time. This is, this is what we have to offer you. We have, we have a heart. So God, I pray that you, would, that you would be present. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your promises in Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about